we do. Turn over to the book of Colossians. All of them. <laughs> Chapter 1. If you want to put up a, a translation on the screen, Bill, go ahead and do NLT. Okay, so when I do Vlogatos, this is the first time I've done a Vlogatos where I actually have people in. And so you guys are, the, the point of this is, is we're just reading the word and Q&A. And that's not something that is done very often in churches these days, but the Bible talks about Scripture being read in church, just read. And so we are doing that, but there's a bit of a, a, bit of a twist on it that you can, you can ask questions. I'm opening up the floor for, for questions. Um, and like I said at the beginning, that if I don't know the answer, I will tell you I don't know, because I don't know it all. Um, I can provide some insight. The book of Colossians is interesting. Um, it, spends, it spends a lot of time talking about Paul wants the people to, that he's writing to, he wants them to understand that, uh, he wants them to understand Christ, primarily. He's like, I want you to understand Jesus. Be, and, and we'll see why as we get into it. But the, the next, so he talks, he talks a great deal about uh, Jesus, about how powerful Jesus is, about, about how, uh, about what what the role that Jesus plays in keeping all of creation together and everything, and so we'll we'll, we'll go ahead and get into this just now. And so, but he covers a lot of things, so we'll talk about that. And and if I have a thought, I'll stop and talk about it. But but if you have a question too, and uh, Bill, I know the comments are turned off on YouTube, but if there is uh, questions that come up in the chat, um, if they pertain to the Book of Colossians, go ahead and feel free to to let me know. And uh, if, some, if one of you guys have a question, I will repeat it for the benefit of the online people so they know what the question was when I answer it, all right? So you're, you're covering the whole book? Yes. Okay. That's okay. Uh, so for you people at home, if you've got your Bible or you have an NLT, go ahead and grab an NLT, NL, New Living Translation Bible, um, until Bill gets that up there. And when he gets it up there, uh, you'll be able to follow along that way, all right? Okay, so Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you. Keep in mind, he's, he's, writing this to the church. he's telling this to the church directly. We always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So he mentions grace a couple of times here. Uh, you, you see this all over the place in the epistles. Uh, may God our Father give you grace and peace. Sometimes it's may his grace be multiplied to you. Sometimes it's may his grace be added to you. But grace is anything that God gives you that you do not deserve, any good thing from God that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the bad things that you do deserve. We all deserve hell. The Bible says all fall short uh, 
if all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God. So then we all deserve hell, so the mercy is not getting the bad things that we do deserve or consequences from things that we do. Grace is anything that is good from God that I received that I did not. So peace, joy, love from him, uh, uh, faith, all of these things, because to each one is given a measure of faith, right? All of these things are things that are fall under the category of grace because they are all things that are good things from God that he gives to us that we don't deserve. So he's like, may God our Father give you grace and peace. So, his, so the prayer that Paul would constantly pray for people is, I pray that God give you more and more grace. May it be added to you, be, may it be multiplied to you. Because God and uh, the, people, the leaders in the church should want you to have more and more grace, more good things from God that you don't deserve. Well, because why? Because we need them. We need them. So he says... Uh, so he sees, you, you believe this, this truth since the first day you understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good, verse 7 now, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. Okay, so he you learned about the news from, not from us, but from Epaphras, uh, a missionary, somebody, or, you know, a, 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 an evangelist, or, or maybe, maybe just somebody who just is a Christian and just showed up, or, or we get the sense later that he probably lived there in Colossae, but he, he came to this, this, these people and he delivered to them the gospel about Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. And these people believed, and as a result of it, Paul has said, since, ever since we heard about it, we have been praying for you. Okay? And so uh, he says, uh, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is something that you can pray for yourself. At any time, you can ask God, Lord, please give me a knowledge of your will. Give me spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the best way to get to know God and get to know his, his word when you read the word. And you'll, you'll read it. You pray, you pray for yourself, believing that God will give you those things. And as you read the word, you will be astounded at how much understanding you have as you read his word. And you'll be like, oh, I get that now. I didn't get that before. Okay. So, uh, verse 10. Then... The way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Are you having trouble enduring in life? Things that, that, are, that are, are hindering you? Do you need patience? You can, they're, they're like, we pray that you be strengthened with his glorious power. People think that his power in terms of miracles and things like that, but he's talking about his, what his power translates in, in you too is the endurance and the patience you need to run the race of life. Not that you can't perform miracles and things like that. You can, as the Holy Spirit leads you to. But he's talking about that type of strength, the ability to endure. Okay? And then he says, May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. 
He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. See, now he's, he's, this is where he's going to talk about, about Jesus. Okay. Let me make sure that I, there was something I... I was wondering if I had skipped over, but I guess it did not. Okay, so Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And uh, just a, a point here is, is that modern science understands there are things that they can detect that we cannot see with the natural eye. So that any of, anything like that falls under this category. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see. And faith, you know, if Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Uh, in that case, it's things you're believing God for that you have not seen yet. But as you continue in faith, eventually they become seen because you've continued in faith and you believe that you received when you asked. We won't get into all that. So, verse 17. He, Jesus, existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. We're still talking about the church here. So he is first in everything. God, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. So through, through Jesus, God made everything, the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, but also through Jesus... He reconciled everything to himself after it had entered a fallen state. Then he reconciled everything to himself. And then he's now going to remake everything in a certain time determined by him. In verse 20 still, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him, by your evil thoughts and actions. So anybody who is not in Christ then, all their thoughts and actions are considered by God to be evil uh, because they're not, they're not reconciled to him. That's, the, that's why God reconciled. He wanted to reconcile everything and everybody to him. Not everybody will receive Jesus, but he wanted to reconcile everybody to, him, to, to himself. And so he, through Jesus, he did that, through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, but that means that anybody who has said out loud Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart God's raised him from the dead, and I'm stopping there just to say that because I don't know who's watching. Maybe you don't know Jesus. And if you want to know Jesus, do like Romans 10.9 said. Say out loud he's your Lord. Claim him as your Lord. Believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. And this, this will apply to you. You'll be at peace with God. Okay, verse 22, he says, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. 
but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. The New King James Version says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. A lot of people in this world don't have hope. But hope is a confident expectation of what God has promised. That's why the word says hope doesn't disappoint. Because God always makes good on his promises. But if we have trouble receiving those promises, that's that's on us. That's why the word is constantly talking about building your faith, building up your most holy faith, praying in the spirit, building up your most holy faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. That's why it's so important. That's why you notice that Paul is really saying some repetitive stuff here, but it doesn't matter because he wants us to hear it and hear it again. Okay, so he said in verse 28, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Some people struggle really hard. They work really hard, but they don't depend on Christ. They don't depend on God, and because of that, they wear themselves out. And they'll think sometimes because I'm working for God, I wonder why I've now burned out. I wonder why I don't have any more, I don't have any more fire in me. But I've, 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 I did not depend on Christ's strength in me. See, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And glory, of course, is whenever God reveals uh, his goodness. It's the expression of his excellence, as we've said many times. So that means that just like grace, anything that you receive from God, peace, love, uh, mercy, uh, joy, you know, any of those things, uh, well, mercy is a different category. I, I misspoke there. But any of those things, those are all grace. It's like all thumbs are fingers, but not all fingers are thumbs. Those things are all grace. And so that means that miracles, signs, and wonders are also grace. Okay? That's why Christ in you, the hope of glory, the, ex- the confident expectation of glory, is anything that God may do for you through Christ in you through Christ, or through you, through Christ, in you, th- that's, that's his glory. It's his, his, the expression of his excellence. Okay? That's why he makes a point to say it's Christ. He relies on Christ's mighty power that works within him. Okay? At this point, do I have any questions? No questions at all? I'm going to have to plant some... some uh... So, what, what okay. Mm-hmm. Depending on the, with Christ, uh, the power that works within me, or yeah. the, hope, the hope of glory. 
Yeah, specifically, okay, so the question is, what, what, what is he, when he talks about suffering or he's talking about the struggle, what's he talking about? Is he talking about just life's hardships or, you know, what's he talking about? That was the question. And the answer is, is really anything. Uh, he's specifically talking about his ministry. He's like, I, you know, back in verse 24, he said, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. So he's talking about any kind of ministry thing that he's doing, anything that he is doing for the church, he's ta- that's what he's talking about. It doesn't apply to just that. I mean, because God will help you with, with anything if you, are, if you have faith in him. Um, it could just be struggles in life. But he is talking specifically about the ministry work that he is doing for the body, the service he is doing for the church. He's like, I'm, 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 I, when I do these, what I do, you know, I mean, because Paul traveled all over the place, he preached, and he, you know, he and he, he worked with his hands too to provide for the needs of him and his traveling companions. But he he worked uh, strenuously all the time. But he was saying, he's saying the reason I can do that is because I, re, I I work hard. That's my side of it. But the God side of it is that I rely on Christ's mighty power in me. But I can I can take I can choose to not take advantage of something that I have. You know, um, I mean. I play guitar earlier. I can play without a pick, but I choose to take advantage of the pick that I've got to, you know. And so that that's kind of the idea. Christ's mighty power is a lot better than a guitar pick. But that's the point is that he that's what he's talking about. But it can apply to regular struggles as well because anything that you need, because he, he, he's, he's still talking about grace. You know, um, we, we, prayed, we prayed for you a little while ago. The, the, the healing that you are asking God for is grace. It's, it's something you don't deserve, but that Christ has paid for. And his power is already working within you mightily. You've got to cooperate with it, essentially, is, is what he's saying. Does that make sense? Okay. Any other questions before I move on to chapter 2? Yes. So, somebody asked this today. Ooh, okay. Did the, okay. Is he talking, what, did he give an example of exactly what he's talking about? So his question was, so his question is, how can God ask us to have faith when he himself couldn't have faith? I, I would have to ask him, in what instance did God not have faith? Uh-huh. True. Okay, the answer to that is in Philippians. So, he, so his question is, I guess his question is, is how can God hold us to the standard of having faith when Jesus knew he was the Son of God? And so, it's, in other words, he's, I guess what he's asking is, it, Jesus wasn't just a man, 
So how could he expect us to, to rise to that, le- that same level of faith that Jesus had? Well, in Philippians, the Bible says that Jesus set aside his, priv- his divine privileges. So he, he, he was not operating in his own power. He was still God, but he chose to limit himself to the power of the Holy Spirit. So he had to rely on the Holy Spirit just like we do. That means that anything that Jesus said or did, he had to do in faith. And, and, and see, it, it, he, you notice that there's a lot of times there's a delay. Jesus speaks a word in faith and says, go your way, you're healed. And many times it's like, and in that very hour, they were healed. So they weren't healed immediately all the time. And so you can see then that there is a, a display of faith in Jesus because if he had spoken the word in faith and then the person left and he didn't see them get healed because they leave and then however long later, then there's this manifestation of the word. The word of faith is spoken and it holds, it, it stands until that uh, miracle comes to pass in the physical. In the spiritual, it's as, in the spirit, it's as though it's done. It's like his word is as good as, it, it, that, that's what it is. The word of faith that he spoke is good. But if, what if Jesus himself had chosen to doubt that word or stop believing that word, would the person still have been healed in that hour? And I would have to say no, because it's his word of faith that, that, that he sustained that saw that miracle to its end, because it's a, it's a healing process that's begun, or whatever miracle it is. Um, and so the answer, and, and, and I don't know if they would like my answer, because I don't know exactly what they're asking, but this is what sounds like as they're asking is, how can God hold us to that standard? But the thing is, is that the word said that each person has already been given a measure of faith. That's how God, that's another way to answer that question is God expects people to have faith because he gave it to them. And if they're not cooperating with it, that's not on God. So he's like, I gave you everything you need. You know, um, so that's why he would ask the disciples, where is your faith? You know, he, he calmed the storm and they're like, wow, he calmed the storm. And then he's like, where's your faith? I, I know I gave it to you. Where is it? Show it to me. And so that's really the answer that, that, uh, that, I, would give, that I would give that question is, you know, uh, that's how God can expect a person to have faith because he already gave it to him. <laughs> I gave it to you. So display it, please. Demonstrate it. Is that, is that good? Good. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do that unless he had faith. You know, it was, it was, uh, he, he spoke, he, he just spoke the word. Mm-hmm. And you could, you could say that he chose to operate through faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that's what I would do. I wouldn't go any further to say that he, he, he couldn't do it without faith, but I would, I would say, I would, uh, say, okay, he probably chose to operate through faith. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your question. Well, I mean, it was just faith cometh by hearing, mm-hmm. hearing by the word of God. Well, mm-hmm. who is the word? Jesus is the word. Is yeah. The word. Hearing, hearing so by the word of God. Yeah. Is the faith, you know. yeah. That's why Jesus, that's why it said he created everything through Jesus because Jesus is the word. He created everything through his word. He spoke it into existence. Jesus is the word. That was it over, see, where is that? That's, that's verse 
16, for through him, that's Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms. I never thought about it that way, but, but that's, that's, that's a good way to look at it. Jesus is the word. He created everything through his word. But you also notice uh, over there in, in the Gospels, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, they said, wow, look how quickly the fig tree withered. And Jesus said, have faith in God. Some translations render that, have the God kind of faith. So uh, I think that a lot of times people will think, okay, well, if God has to have faith or God has faith, that somehow limits God, not if he chooses to operate through faith. If he could operate any way he desired and he chose to operate that way, that does not limit him. But having the God kind of faith then is like, I spoke it and I I have no doubt that it'll come to pass. But without knowledge of what God's will is that we can speak, how can we speak in faith? You know? I'm not used to asking a question of my own when I'm doing Vlogatos, but that's fine. Do you think about that? Think about that. If you don't know what God said you can ask for or what God said you can declare, how do you have faith to do it? You're just going to be, I hope it, hope it works out. But that's not what God wants. God wants us to know. Like they, they like to say at Ramah all the time, faith begins where the will of God is known. I can't have faith for something until I know what his will is concerning that thing. Anyway, um, maybe you're right. Maybe we're going to go really late. Who knows? But okay. My wife said you're going to read the entire book and you're going to sing four songs. You might. She. I was like, well, yeah. That's what I was planning on. Okay. So in chapter two, he says, "I want you to know how much I have agonized for you, and for the church at Laodicea, and for many other believers who have never met me personally." So he's talking about prayer. I've agonized uh, for you. You believers, I've agonized for you in prayer. Uh, prayer is a serious thing. And he, he talked before about, I always pray for you, and this is what I pray for you. And this is what you can pray for yourself. And so he's, you know, because again, that you know, faith beginning where the will of God is known. In Scripture, it says, he, he asks, I pray that God uh, will give you, where is it? We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, so you can ask, you know then, because the word said you can ask for that, you know then that you can ask for that in faith, believing that you received it when you asked. Okay, so that's just, but, but uh, sometimes prayer is agonizing. Sometimes prayer is a lot of work. And uh, a lot of people don't spend a lot of time in prayer because of that, but uh, it's necessary. Verse 2, he said, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. He's talking about the, all the believers. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. Excuse me. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, what's, what's interesting about this is that if, if we as if believers are like, okay, I have to know a lot about love, I have to know a lot about faith, I have to know a lot about perseverance, I have to know a lot about, I have to know, I have to know, I have to know. And if we think that we have to keep each one of those subjects before us all the time, I think that we just go crazy. Because there's just too much to know at any given time. But he says here, he doesn't say... Um, 
uh, he says, I want you to have complete confidence that you understand God's mysterious plan. All those things are part of God's mysterious plan, faith, hope, love, all those things. But he's not saying, I want you to, I mean, of course, you, you should know as much about those things as you can. But he's not saying, I want you to focus on those things. What he says, I want you to focus on is Christ himself. I want, I want you to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. Why? Because in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I could, I could major on love and say, I'm going to major on love. Fine. But if I major on Christ himself, in him lie hidden love, peace, faith, healing, hope, joy. Anything that we need are hidden in him. So that means that in him is everything that we need. So if you focus on him, what you need is going to, at, at whatever time, whatever struggle you're going through, is what's going to come to the surface. Amen? So it really becomes simple. I want you to know Christ. Paul said that in one of the other epistles. I, I, I just want to know him more and more. Because Paul understood that he is the source of everything that we need. Okay. <clears throat> How's that for a, for a big truth bomb on you? So, verse 4, I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let, see, you see how it's a, the, the question that this person asked you is sort of a double-edged sword on their side? It's like, well, how can God expect me to have faith? And the answer is, let your roots, your roots grow deep down in Christ, and then you'll have the faith that God expects you to have. But if he, he is using the excuse of, well, I just can't have that kind of faith, then he is not going to be putting time into getting to know Christ, which means then his faith can never be strong. It's kind of like the old conundrum of, I, I'm, I'm getting old enough to drive and get a job, but I don't have enough money to buy myself a car because I don't have a job, but I can't get a job because I don't have a car to drive to the job. It's that parrot, it's that, it's that, or, that um, what do you call that? Chicken and egg. Yeah, which came first, chicken or the egg? The cart before the horse. It's that, it's that, that it's, so it's the same issue, but instead of being a, a physical issue of uh, the job and the car, it's how can I have faith without, uh, I, don't, I don't have any faith, how can I get faith? Well, you have, to, you have to let your roots grow deep down in Christ. Well, yeah, but how can I let my roots grow deep down in Christ if I don't have faith? It's that, it's, it's, this, it's this issue. And so, uh, it's kind of like, well, you've got to invest before you see a return. And so that's probably a good answer to that person's question, too, is you're just going to have to trust God for a while before you see any fruit because fruit takes time to grow. You know, People a lot of times don't want to take the time to invest in something that they don't know is a sure thing, but it's like, well, the Bible says this is how you do it. I can't just believe any way I want to believe. I have to have specific beliefs if I want to see the results that God wants for me. I can't just choose, well, I, I think God ought to do it this way. 
remember uh, on Sunday, Danny Hubble was talking about the way of Cain. You know, for any of you who didn't, who didn't miss Danny Hubble's message, you might want to check that out. It was this last Sunday's uh, message. But he, he said, he, he talked about the, Cain expected God to take his offering on his terms when God had already clearly stipulated, this is the type of offering I want you to bring. But Cain was like, well, God should just accept this just because I think this is good enough. And so that's kind of the same problem there with that, that issue of faith is, well, why can't God just accept? Well, because he's made it clear what he expects. So I can't just believe anything I want to believe. I have to, I, I, just like, Cain, like Cain, I can't just bring whatever offering I want to bring. I have to resolve in my heart that I'm going to do what God said to do. It's the only way I'm going to see results. Anyway, what do you think of that? <laughs> is that good? Well, well-crafted arguments are a way to have an excuse not to believe. And if this is a person, if he brings up the same argument again and again and again, I was listening to um, an apologist speak. That's somebody who like defends the truth like on a professional level. The guy's awesome. Anyway, he said, he said, I call that an iterative skeptic, a person who thinks that they can best you just by bringing up the same raising the same question again and again and again and again. And he said, in my opinion, the best way to deal with an iterative skeptic is to ignore him. Because he's, and it sounds like maybe you're dealing with that, but maybe not. It might be a, but the best thing, you, if he expects proof, like if he, if, he expects you, if he expects you, like the burden of proof is on you, you need to prove God. Well, that's a problem because even God himself doesn't give proof. The reason he does that is because he wants people to have faith. If we have faith, or if we have proof, then there's no need for faith. You know, and so because God wants the relationship to be based on faith, because he just wants us to take him at his word and believe him, he's not going to provide proof. And so I've dealt with people like that. They tell me, you have to provide proof. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't have to provide a lick of proof. I'm talking about evidence. You know, I can provide you with evidence. Lots of, lots and lots of evidence. As far as I'm concerned, there's so much evidence that it, should count as proof. But it's like, well, yeah, you do have to prove that. I said, no. You have to talk to God about that. He says, well, God proves himself, does, does he? He's like, that's not how it works. I said, if God's a person, yes, that's how it works. The burden of proof is with him because he is a person. But in this case, uh, where he's got some well-crafted arguments and things like that, you do not have to reprove him because there's a difference between reproofing and rebutting. You don't need to reprove him. You don't need to prove that he's wrong in order to stand firm. All you have to do is show him, I have provided you with enough, or you, or you could say, you have not provided me with enough evidence that I should change my view about God. And that really irritates people because they don't like to be rebuffed. They want you to prove them wrong. So, But all you have to do is say, hmm, you haven't provided me with enough proof for me to change my view. Just struggling, maybe? Struggling. So he's not trying to prove you wrong. He's just struggling. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, go to church and ask the pastor. Okay. Honest. Yeah, honest skeptics are, honest skeptics are welcome, definitely. Those, they're, they're definitely welcome. And sometimes we have to tell them, sorry, I don't have the answer to your question. That doesn't mean that one doesn't exist just because I don't know, you know. So, I mean, a lot of my questions get answered just from being in here. And that's where a lot of people, they're, they're not in, they want answers, but they're not in God's word. So, 
but God can provide them with answers. But anyway, sounds like a person that I might like to talk to at some point. I don't know, he might not like me. <laughs> that's why Paul got thrown in jail, right? That's, that's, what, that's what Paul is. <laughs> He's watching right now, oh no. Okay, so <laughs> you're like, I invited him. Okay, anyway, now I lost track of what verse I was on. Thank you. Verse 7, so he said, Let your roots grow down into, into him, Jesus, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. I love how it has it in quotations in the NLT. You were circumcised, not physically. That's why, that's why it's in quotations. Uh, you, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's some pretty specific language there. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ so it's possible to be not connected to Christ. They're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he who holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, for he, sorry, he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. So a person who is connected to Christ then is a part of this uh, network that he's talking about. He, he, so if you, if, if you are seeking Christ, just like he's saying, I want you to know Christ. So, he, so the person who seeks Christ, who seeks to know Christ, who seeks to spend time with Christ, then they are connected to Christ. And he says, when a person is connected to Christ, uh, then as a result of that, you end up with the last part of verse 19, which says, he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. So then you will be, if you are connected to Christ, then you will be nourished by God. Verse 20, you have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? 
Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. I'm not going to try to pronounce that word again. Deteriorate. There we go. I got it that time. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Now, I think that's, that's fascinating, you know, because of how many people all over the world, they maintain these really strict religious observances and things. But Paul is saying, those things don't help you fight the sin nature. They don't help you combat evil desires that rise up within you. So they're useless, is what he's saying. It's useless to observe those kinds of things. Um, and so the, the issue here is what he called the sin nature. He's like, Christ did away with the, the power of the sin nature over you. I mean, you still have one because you can yield to that, but you got that new nature. And he talks about that in, in chapter 3. Let's get over there. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. See, the glory that, that, that Christ, now Christ is in you, in you the, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So then there's glory in part, because it's whatever your ministry does. We know in part, we prophesy in part, whatever your, whatever your earthly ministry, the, there's that glory that, that goes out from you. But you won't get, the world won't see his glory in all its fullness until he, he returns. And so that will be amazing to see. So here he's going to talk about the sin nature again, verse 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. So, you know, think about this. It's like the, the cutting away of that sinful, the, the, sin, the sin nature's power over you. The sin nature itself is not sin, okay? It is the, uh, it is the desire to sin. It is the temptation to sin. Temptation itself is not sin. Otherwise, Jesus would have failed when he was tempted by Satan. But, so temptation and sin are not the same thing. Many times a person feels condemned because they're like, oh, I, I had this thought, and it was this terrible, awful thought. Well, not every thought originates with you. I mean, thoughts pop into your head all the time. And uh, what he's saying here is to put to death that sinful nature by not entertaining those things. That's why set your sight on the set your your thoughts on the realities of heaven. That way, there will be a lot less temptation to contend with, because your thoughts are on things above, not on things of the earth. And so, but those things will still happen. You'll still have. I mean, 
Eve didn't put the thought into her head that, wow, look at this, look at this fruit over here. Right? We have an enemy. And then, you know, thoughts can occur to us just because they just happen, you know. Brother Hagin told a story about it. He, 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 he said he, he was illustrating this. <laughs> and he used, he used the illustration of chili. He said because he walked into the side building of the church and the ladies were in there preparing a bunch of chili for some event that they were having going on. And he walked in and he said, as soon as I smelled that chili, I thought, wow, that chili smells really good. He said, and then he thought, I'd love to have him, he said, with that chili. And he says, and I did. I went in. In fact, I had two bowls of chili. He said, but, but if, if I had not acted on the thought that I want some of that chili, he said, that thought would have died unborn in the cradle, so to speak. It, there would have been nothing, no fruit, either bad or good, that came from that thought if he had not acted on the thought. He said, but the thought, he said, the thought didn't pop into my head until I walked into the building and smelled it. So thoughts will occur because of your, uh, your physical senses as well. Okay. And so he's talking about setting your thoughts on the things of heaven. Develop a habit of thinking on those things, and there will be less room for random thoughts that pop in, if that makes sense. Okay. So he has said, so you have, uh, I remember why I stopped now. You ha- <laughs> I got off on a whole other thing. So he says, you have stripped off your old sinful nature. But he said, uh, you used to do these things. In verse 7, he says, you used to do these things. He's talking about all those sins, okay? You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. How did he know that they stripped off the sinful nature? Because he said, you used to do these things. You don't do those things anymore, so therefore that is evidence that you have stripped off the old sinful nature. In other words, you're not yielding to that. You're not dwelling on that. You're not giving that any sort of position in your life because Jesus Christ destroyed the power of the sin nature over you when you accepted him as Lord. So the power of that is broken over your life. You no longer have to yield to it. Now you can yield to the new nature you have in Christ instead. Because he goes on to say here in verse 10, put on your new nature. Put it on. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Wow. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So now he's shifted now. Now he's talking about how we deal with other, other Christians because he said, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Uh, some translations in talking about forgiveness, well, I should say I read it in the Amplified, it's like in brackets, it's like let the matter drop. Forgiveness is letting the matter drop. In other words, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. You know, 
uh, this, person said, this person did this thing to me, and not only am I forgiving them that debt, not only am I declaring they owe me nothing, I'm also never going to talk about it again. Because if I talk about it again, I'm bringing it up before me again, and I'm yielding to the sin nature. So, we're not allowed to complain about one another. Because he says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And I've got my kids here tonight, so you guys hear that? Just kidding. (laughs) Verse 21 says, Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Uh, One translation I read said, Don't, don't, uh, Don't put on them unreasonable expectations. In other words, don't just make up a rule and be like, you have to follow this rule, and it's a stupid rule. You have to do this. You have to do it. Because that will discourage them, it says. Slaves, and you can apply this to employees in this, in this time, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. That's key in working any job. Do it for the Lord, not for the people who are working over you. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Okay. Uh, I've just got about 10 minutes left. Does anybody have any questions on those before we move down? Any questions in the chat box there, Bill? That's fine by me. That just means you're, they're all getting it, right? I don't have any questions because I understand it all. I asked God for spiritual wisdom at the beginning of this, and I know I understand it all, right? Any questions from my, my in-person people? No? I just, get, I just got smiles. You're doing good. good okay. Keep going. All right. So the top of, of Chapter 4, Masters, and in this case, you could apply that to employers. Employers, be just and fair to your slaves slash employees. remember that you also have a master in heaven devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart why do you need an alert mind when you pray just in case God gives you something specific to pray for vain repetitions don't leave any room for God to speak that's why Jesus said when you pray don't do as the heathens do with vain repetitions But keep an alert mind when you pray. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. And yes, he is writing this from prison. That's why it's not spiritual chains. It's physical chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. 
No, I guess I won't say that. Verse 5. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. There you go. There you go, Jonathan. There's your, <laughs> there's your, your motivation when you're, when you're dealing with this guy, right? Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. That doesn't mean that, you know, you're, maybe you'll never, he'll never accept Christ when you're talking to him. But making the most of every opportunity just means being faithful with whatever God tells you to say and just doing your best. And a lot of that going around. Yeah. All right. Where was I? Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus, and by the way, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing these names right. I'm just doing my best, all right? Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes, to you, comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These, now, that's not Jesus Christ. That's a, a guy named Jesus. Okay. That was a common name back then. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my coworkers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras. A member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings. Luke, by the way, this is the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. He's circulating. See, because at this time, there was no, we could, they did not have this, so it's, it's word of mouth. It's speak this word, read this, read this letter, you know, because Paul was very adamant. I want you all to know Christ more and more. These people um, could were constantly in danger of persecution, and Paul was in jail just for preaching the gospel. So they took their faith very seriously. Verse 17, To say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Huh. Sometimes we all need that reminder. Do what God told you to do. Verse 18, Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. So that's the entire epistle of Colossians. Does anybody have any questions about it? Before I pray, before I wrap up the service. Hey, I've still got five minutes on the clock. What do you guys think about that? That's the longest vlog I've ever done. We good? Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, Lord the way that you've preserved it for us so that we can do just like Paul is saying and seek out 
the mysteries of Christ, seek to know him better, chase after him, meditate on the scriptures, meditate on the word, and there remain connected to him. And so then be nourished by you, Father, spiritually. There's just so many advantages to being a child of yours, Father. You are such a good Father. I thank you, Lord, and I ask that you would bless everyone as they go. Help us all to remember this. Uh, these words help us, the, the, whatever is needed at the time, uh, help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that whatever, whatever uh, truth, whatever uh, anything that's in Christ that we need at whatever moment that we're at after we leave this place, that it would, it, it would be um, just right there for us to, to be able to say, yes, that's right, the Word said that, that will help me. And so I thank you, Father, that that is your desire for all of, everybody here. You want everyone to grow, and you want them all to be comforted by you and helped by you. And I just thank you, Lord, so much for your goodness. And in Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Okay, you guys.